Lord, we just thank you tonight that we are approaching the sacred word of God. Lord, this is your word. This is not the word of, of men, but it's the word that you moved on men to write. And Lord, it is the inspired word. It is the word without error. And so, Lord, we approach it uh, essentially, figuratively, taking our shoes off and coming into your presence and in respect and honor. And we say, Lord, teach us out of your word, for your word is truth, and your word is life, and your word is good, and your word is the manna for today. And your word strengthens us, and it builds our faith, and it increases our wisdom, and it stands us on our feet. And Lord, it gives us vision and strength and hope. And we pray that now you'll speak to us out of this word as we wrap up this incredible letter you moved on, Paul, to write to the Philippian church. And we thank you for it. Now, church, as always, would you just pray and say, Lord, speak to me. I receive the word of God tonight as the word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's going to be good tonight. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, we're in, of course, the second half of chapter four now. Last time we closed with chapter four, verse nine, where Paul encouraged the Philippians to follow his example by praying through problems instead of worrying through them. You know, you can pray through a problem or you can worry through a problem. The only thing is, worry won't get you to the other side. Prayer will get you to the other side. And so Paul, and we're going to see here in a little bit, that he really practiced what he preached. Now, in verse 10, he's thanking the Philippians for their financial support. Everybody say there's nothing new under the sun. Because here we're talking about money. Everybody say money. All right. Now, they sent money, we know, from uh, going through this letter, that um, the Philippians sent Paul financial relief. Through who? Who carried it? Epaphroditus. Good man, sitting right in front of me. He got it. Epaphroditus. So Paul says in verse 10, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you didn't have any opportunity. You lacked opportunity. How many of you have ever wanted to do a good thing, but there was no opportunity to do it? How many of you have something in your heart tonight? You would do it if the opportunity were there. Come on, let me see your hands. You would do it. And the opportunity sometimes is money. Sometimes it's it's an open door, whatever it might be. I do too. I've got several things I would do if I had the opportunity. You got to wait for God to, to move. Now, let me just unpack this a little bit. In Paul's day, people under arrest were not cared for by the state like people in our jails are. It was up to the prisoners themselves to see that their physical needs were met. Paul had no means of support. So he was cast solely upon the Lord for help. And remember now, he just told us about praying through things. So he doesn't have any help. He needs help. He needs financial help. And it's not there. So what he told us in in verses 6 and 7 praying through everything, not worrying about anything. Here, here's, he's practicing this himself because he needs help. And until Epaphroditus got there, it wasn't there. So notice his use of the phrase, now 
at last. How many of you have ever had a at last breakthrough from God? Have you ever noticed he's an 1159 God? That sometimes he's just, he waits till 1159 and you're about to go, well, it's over with and 1159 he comes through. Well, Paul put it this way. Now at last, now at last, apparently his needs had reached an 1159 moment and God needed to move now. Uh, but you know, Paul had learned way before this dire necessity of his uh, to wait patiently for the Lord to act. And so he did this up to the very last minute. Meanwhile, the Philippians had wanted to do something, but they didn't have opportunity. There were no mail services then. There was no FedEx. There was no Amazon. Amen? There was no email. Hey, we're sending something. It's on the way. No telephone. Give Paul a ring and tell him that help is on the way. There was nothing. You prayed, you had God, you had, and, and that was it. You did not know when help was coming. You didn't know who was doing what. It forced you to put your eyes on God and say, all right, if you want me to come home early by starving to death, take me home early by starving to death. But I'm, I'm praying, God, that you will come through for me. And the only way you knew that help was coming is when help got there. And that was it. So they lacked opportunity. God got it through to Paul by the wonderful individual Epaphroditus. Now, I just want to talk about this thing of lacking opportunity one more time. When God puts in your heart a desire to do a thing. Now, let me ask you one more time. How many of you can say, God has put in my heart something that I would love to see happen, something I believe he wants me to do for his glory, but right now, there's no opportunity. Let me see it again. No opportunity. So you know what you do when you don't know what to do? You do what you do know what to do. And what you do know to do is pray. Everybody say pray. Because the only way that that lack lacking opportunity is going to change is when God brings an opportunity. God opens a door that no man can shut and he shuts a door that no man can open. He makes a way like we sang tonight where there is no way. He's our way maker. He makes a road in the wilderness. He makes a river in the desert. God makes a way where there isn't one, but until he makes one, you sit still and you wait on God. Amen. So they, they, they wanted to help their apostle, but they didn't have a way to get to him until Epaphroditus came along, and they raised money and gave the money to him, and he carried it all the way to Paul. Now, next Paul turns his thoughts to the power of contentment. Now, I want to really focus on this because I think most of us have a real problem experiencing contentment, and I'm talking about me too. Because how do you balance really wanting something and and, and being happy with what you have. Can I ask you again? How do you balance spiritual ambition? I'm careful to call it, not fleshly ambition, but spiritual ambition. You have a vision. You have something God has put there that you want to see him do in your life. Whatever it may be, a ministry, a job, a, a certain person getting saved, a, something in your own personal life, spiritual growth, an increased prayer life, whatever it might be. But, but there's something you want God to do. But he's got to open the door. So you've got this desire to move forward, onward, and upward. But at the same time, we're supposed to be content with what we have. I have found it difficult in the past to balance those two. 
Because I, I was always a visionary. I always wanted what wasn't yet there. I always wanted God to do more. I wanted to tackle another mountain, uh, go across another sea, uh, go to the other side of somewhere. I, I didn't like sitting still. Matter of fact, I hated sitting still. I still don't like sitting still. Patience is, is not a fruit I bore easily. I don't know about you, but I didn't. And so I had to learn to balance, Lord, I want to see you do this and that and the other. And I want to see, you know, I want to reach this many people. And I want to, you know, I want you to do this in the church and that in the church. And I want this and that and the other. But, but until then, Lord, I'm content. I'm just content with what I've got. Has anybody found that hard like me? Is that a juggling act or what? Right? Now, here, here comes Paul talking about contentment. And he give, he's going to give us a key. He says, not that I speak in regard to need. Now, he's talking about the money gift he just got from the Philippians. He said, I'm not talking about my need. For I have learned. Everybody say learned. learned. In whatever state I am, Texas, New York, Michigan. Oh, I'm sorry. That's terrible. That's a terrible joke. I should have just shut up. I've learned in whatever state I am, California. You need some real grace there. New York City, you need some real grace there. To be what, everybody? Content. Whatever my circumstances are, I've learned to be content. Notice, it was not a gift that dropped on him from heaven. How did he get to the place of contentment? Learned. Everybody say learned. He learned through some hard knocks. He learned through some ups and downs. He learned. It was not natural to him. He had to learn it. He had to learn how to be content. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. With all of his many trials and tribulations, where nothing in life was certain for this man, nothing. He lived on the go all the time, constantly persecuted all the time. But Paul had learned the key to contentment. He tells the Philippians, I'm thankful for your gift. Thank you for the money. Thank you for the financial support. But I'm content no matter what my circumstances are. I'm content. I'm content when it's tight. I'm content when it's, it's abounding. I'm content. Now, now, I want us to really focus on this because I believe you can't have peace without contentment. I, I don't believe you can have peace without it. You show me somebody that has peace and, and that's not content, and I'll, I'll say, I don't think so. Because Peace and contentment are twins. You can't have peace without contentment. And, and, and if you've got contentment, you've got peace. All right? I'm happy with what I've got. Do I want more? Yes. Do I want to move further down the road? Yes. But until then, I'm happy. I'm content. I accept. I embrace where I am. I embrace where I am. We all need to strive to learn what Paul did. And all I can do is teach it and teach it to myself as well. Paul was a thankful man. Paul was a thankful man. And thanksgiving is the doorway to contentment. Now, it's hard to find a discontented, thankful person. Have you ever found? I've never known a discontented, thankful person. And it's even harder to find a contented, unthankful person. 
If they're unthankful, guarantee you they're not content. And if they're not content, I guarantee you they're restless and they don't have peace. See, we've got to, we've got to, to embrace now. This is the word of God to us. The Holy Ghost moved across the pen, moved across Paul as he was penning this letter. And the Holy Ghost wants us to get something here about contentment. Because a lot of people are saved, they're going to heaven, they're as saved as the day is long, but they live restless, unhappy, even sometimes miserable lives because they're not content. They say, if only this were different or that were different, if only I'd married somebody else, or if only I'd moved here, or if only I had that job, or if only I wasn't short, or if only I wasn't so tall, or if only this, or if only that. And they're always focused on what they don't have. And when they focus on what they don't have, they're not thankful for what they do have, and therefore, they don't experience contentment. Contentment. I've known people that were wealthy, that lived in mansions, that, that, had, that had everything a materialistic person could ever dream of, but they were miserable, angry, uh, vindictive, uh, always complaining, always, always down, always blue, always saying, I wish this, wish that, wish the other. And, and so no, no matter what they had, they were never happy. But I've known people that had next to nothing and they were content and they had peace and they were happy and they had the joy of the Lord. And you would have thought that they had driven up in, in a, an $80,000 Mercedes on their way home to a mansion, but they weren't. They lived in some little house with next to nothing, but they were happy. They had peace. They were content. And, and they were always thanking God for this, that, and the other. Now listen, we, 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 we get one life to live. Just one. How do you want to live it? Do you want to live it griping, complaining, murmuring, always, oh, I wish this, that, and the other, if only this, that, and the other? Listen, you can come under the tyranny of if only. If only I had this, if only I had that. And it can tyrannize you and take away your peace. Or you can just be thankful. You can just be thankful. You can just be thankful. And when you're thankful, you're content. Matthew Henry, the great commentator, whose commentary I love, I, I read him pretty often, uh, was walking home one evening after dark, and he got robbed. And they took everything that he had on his person. And he wrote letter. He went straight home and, and wrote about the robbery. And he said, first, I thank God that they got everything, but it wasn't much. Second, I thank God they didn't take my life. Third, I thank God it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. Right? And so he was thankful. So, so Paul said, I've learned this. I've learned this. I've learned this in the, in, the, in the foxholes of life, in the battles of life. I've learned that if I can be content, no matter what my circumstances are, I'm always going to be on top of the pile. I'm always going to be on top of the pile. So Paul was always found rejoicing in the Lord alone. This was part and parcel of why he possessed such an indomitable spirit. He enjoyed the blessing of contentment of heart and mind. 
He had learned to live in complete detachment from his circumstances. Can I read that again? He had learned to live in complete detachment from his circumstances. Listen to what he said in verse 12. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. There's that word learned again. Both to abound and to suffer need. He said, I don't care what life throws at me. I've learned to be content no matter what the circumstances. Circumstances don't dictate my joy, my peace, my contentment. Now, he says, I know how to be abased. The word abased here is used elsewhere in the Greek language to describe a river in times of drought. In other words, a barely trickling low river. So Paul's words could be rendered, I know how to run low. I know how to run low. I know how to be content when, when life is not at some huge flow, when things are not just rushing my way. I know how to run low and still be content. Most of us know the, ex- the experience of running low. Some of you are running low tonight. Amen. But, but let me ask you a question. Do we know how to run low victoriously? Because Paul said, I know how to do it. He said, I don't just run low. I know how to run low. I know how to navigate low. Y'all are low tonight. I know it's the heat out there. It's 103 or so. But, but, but catch this now. I know how to run low. I don't just run low. I know how to do it and remain victorious. That's, that's what I want you to see. We also know the experience of abounding. But do we know how to abound? Paul said, I know how to do both. I can run low or I can abound. I can do both and keep my head on straight. I can do both. I know how. For instance, have we learned how to face lean times financially without panicking? Do we know how? Now, you may be there, but you're not navigating it well. Do you know how to navigate it well? Paul said, I know how to, I know how to run low and, and still be okay. I know how to run low financially. I know how to run low circumstantially. You can put me in prison. I still know how to run low. I know how to do it and still stay on top. Boy, this is great stuff. Don't tell me the Bible is an anti-philosophical book. This is philosophy 101. This is good stuff. I mean, you, you can take Plato, you can take Aristotle, you can take all the great philosophers of the world. Just teach me how to run low victoriously, and I've got some good philosophy, amen? I know how to do life. So ha- have we learned how? Ask yourself, I'm asking myself, have we learned how to face disappointment, persecution, rejection for Christ victoriously? Have we learned how to walk through a valley of sickness or setback without losing faith? Paul knew how. Amen. That's why I call him the attitude king. He's the king of a positive attitude. You could not knock this guy down. He said, throw me in prison. I know how to run low. Give me all kinds of blessing. I know how to run high. I know how to do both without losing my victory or my stability in Jesus. So conversely, have we learned how to experience prosperity without getting proud? Have we learned how? When God really pours out the blessing or you get some promotion, 
or you're doing better than the neighbor next door to you. Do you know how? Do you know how to experience that without getting proud? Do you know how to abound? Have we learned how to handle success in good times without it going to our head? You know what I've noticed in life, and this is true, I've noticed this, it's easier to pass the valley test than it is the success test. Because I've seen people, and I'm talking about preachers and business people alike, who greatly succeeded. And until they succeeded, when they were running low, when they were just trying to gather a few people or, 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 or just uh, get to first base in their business, they were humble and they were seeking God and they were pressing into him and they were praying. But when they hit the high point, when they hit success, when they began to really abound, they started strutting. They started strutting. They quit seeking God. They started, you could tell, kind of saying, you know, yeah, I am all that and a bag of chips. Uh Uh-huh. And I watched success ruin them because pride precedes a fall. So do you know how to be really blessed and keep your head? See, Paul said, I know both. Amen. Now, this was just worth coming just for this tonight. Just hearing that tonight, that's worth the, the trip tonight. Because, listen, you're either running low or you're running high. Maybe you're somewhere in between. But, but what if God were to bless your socks off? Could you handle it? Or what if you were to go into a real valley? Could you handle that? And still say with Paul, I'm content. I've learned to be content. Amen, Pastor Jeff. Y'all there? Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise tonight. Amen. Oh, I got to tell you guys, I've seen great success destroy preachers. I've known preachers who were destroyed by great success. I've known business people that ended up walking away from God once they got greatly successful. And I've seen people go through a terrible trial, and walk away from God. They didn't know how to navigate running low, didn't know how to navigate running high. We need this gift. We need to learn from Paul because Paul learned it from Jesus. Amen? Now, next, Paul gives the secret to doing all of this. He says in verse 13, I want you to read it with me. I can do all things. Stop there. Those first five words are positive thinking. But let's get rid of positive thinking. Let's go to Christian thinking. How? Through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. The secret, says Paul, to being able to be content to doing the things that I'm sharing with you is Christ who strengthens you and me through it all. Paul had learned to face all of life in the strength of Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you about what I've learned. The more I go on in God, I got to tell you, the more I've learned to draw from his spirit day by day and then hour by hour. And guess what? Sometimes moment by moment, I've learned as I've gone on in God and I've walked with God most of my life. And I can tell you, I feel like I'm just barely learning some things, barely scratching the surface on, on some things. But I've learned to draw from him, to draw from him. I've learned that if, if I'll look to him, he's there. If I'll pray, he answers. That if I need him and say, Lord, I need you, he's right there. I've learned it. I've learned it. When I'm tired, 
I draw from him. When I'm discouraged, I cast it on him. When I'm perplexed, I ask wisdom from him. When I don't know which way to go, I seek direction from him. He's my all in all, and I draw from him more and more. More and more, I'm perfectly willing to say, Lord, I can't do this without you. Who is sufficient for these things, Paul said? Not me, not without God. I need him. If you need him, say, I need him with me. Everywhere and at all times, I've learned to draw deep from the wells of salvation for all my needs. I love the old hymn, and at the end of this service tonight, we're going to sing this hymn. But here's what it says, learning to lean. I love it. It's so simple, so beautiful. Learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus, finding more power than I've ever dreamed. Learning to lean on Jesus. Now listen to this, listen to these lyrics. Sad, broken hearted, at an altar I knelt. I found peace that was so serene. And all that he asks is a childlike trust and a heart that is learning to lean. There's a glorious victory each day now for me. I found peace so serene. He helps me with each task. If I'll only ask every day now, I'm learning to lean. Amen. That is good stuff. Read this, read, read it one more time. Read the chorus with me. Learning to lean, learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus, finding more power than I've ever dreamed. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Amen. Can we give him a hand of Thanksgiving tonight? Amen. Amen. Now, next, we're going to discover the reason for Paul's desperate financial need. The great apostle Paul had a desperate financial need. He says in verse 14, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Distress is a strong word. Now, Paul had always worked at the trade of tent making to provide for his own needs. It was his choice. He could have let the people support him, that is, the church folks, but he chose to not take advantage of what God had given him total blessing to do. But by the time he wound up in Rome, he could not support himself while in chains. He can't build a tent, make a tent, weave a tent in chains. But it wasn't like him to tell others about his needs. So what did he do? Well, he tells us in verse 6 and 7 what he did. He prayed about it. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds for Jesus Christ. So we know what he did in verses 6 and 7. He had a desperate financial need, but he did not tell anybody about it. He went to the Lord. And what happened was, things had ultimately reached the point of his being in literal distress. The Philippians had come through, finally, now at last with the needed finances. Now, I want you to notice next how his needs had been totally overlooked by churches he founded. Can I say that again? His needs had been totally overlooked by the churches he founded at the beginning of his ministry. He says in verse 15, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, that means when I first started preaching, when I departed from Macedonia, no church, this, this kills me. <laughs> Think, everybody say no church. Shared with me gave to me, 
concerning giving and receiving, but only you, Philippians, only you, only you. None of the other churches help me. What a sad statement. Paul had led thousands to Christ. He had established multiple churches. He was the spiritual father of untold numbers. Yet none of those churches had lifted a finger to help him in his travels. None of them. None of them. I think of Antioch. I think of Galatia. I think of Ephesus. I think of all these churches that he founded and only one took up an offering and sent it to him. Wow. Now, and then you got to wonder, you look at the end of the book of Romans and he names names uh, that he loved, people that he loved. Where, where were Mary, who he names? Andronicus, Junia, Urbane, all the others that he greets at the close of the book of Romans. Long list of names. Not a, where were they? Where? And now in Rome, as he's chained up, History is repeating itself, and Paul has literally been left to starve, if not for the Philippian church. As then, so now. It is a very subtle trap to become so engrossed in you and yours and me and mine and our own life that we forget to give to the work of the Lord by supporting those who are in service for the Lord of the work. Hear me on this, because I'm just reading the Bible to you. This isn't a Jeffism. I didn't come up with this. I'm just reading the Bible to you. I'm reading Paul. Okay? How'd they forget him? They forgot him. How'd they do it? They just did. They were too busy with, with themselves. So Paul says, he says, let me brag on you Philippians a little bit more. Verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. That's the Philippians again. Giving to Paul's ministry was not a one-time thing for the Philippians. They had done it once and again when he was in Thessalonica. And that was about 100 miles away. And let me tell you something. Try walking 100 miles tomorrow. How motivated would you and I be to walk 100 miles to hand somebody some financial help? That's a long way from Philippi to Thessalonica. But, But the Philippian church sent somebody a hundred miles once and again to hand the man of God, their apostle, some financial help. And, you know, when he was in Thessalonica, he was only there maybe three weeks. So twice at least they sent help in a three-week time period. Somebody walked that. How long would it take to walk a hundred miles? How long would it take? I, I, I don't know, because I cycle all the time. How long would it take? It'd take days. Take a couple of days. 15 minutes a mile. So, and, and you know, you got your energy. So somebody traversed a 100-mile journey, in, in, and they did not have I-35. They didn't have cement. These were rough roads, animals, beasts, robbers. But they went 100 miles to take him a gift. Twice in a three-week time period, at least. Wow. Now, verse 17, Paul says, Now, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. <laughs> can, we, can, we, can we just let this man's spirit touch us for a minute? I want you to hear what he's saying. He's saying, you, you sent me financial help. 
But you know what? I've learned to be content. God takes care of me. It's not your, your money that I wanted, but I wanted the blessing that was going to come to you because you brought it to me. Wow. That is powerful stuff. You brought it to me. And so I want the, I want the fruit that's going to abound to your, everybody say account. Now let me ask you, what account? What account? Did Paul have, or did the Philippians have, what, the, the, the first bank of Philippi? Did, was there a chase Philippi there? No. What account is he talking about? Their bank account? No. What account? Their heavenly account. Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in, say it, heaven, where... Thieves can't break in and steal, and moth and rust can't corrupt. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So everybody, please hear me tonight. Everyone here has a spiritual bank account. Do you hear me tonight? I'm showing you the word of God here. This is not me. I'm not coming up with this. This is not a, a gimmick. I'm telling you. He said, I want the fruit that's going to abound to your account. That's a banking term. So we have an account, and when we serve the Lord, things go in it. When, when we obey the Lord, things go in it. We're storing up. We can't take anything with us, but we can send some things ahead. And what we send ahead is when we serve the Lord, obey the Lord, bless other people, give to his work, help his work to continue, then, then something happens in the spiritual arena. In our own spiritual bank account, it grows as if by interest. And how did, how did they put things in the account? Whatever you give to, you empower it to continue. Remember that. You go to Burger King, you just empower them to continue. You have Netflix, you just empower them to continue. Wherever you put your money, you empower them to continue. Because nobody in, in, in the world's financial setup can continue without finances. No business, no nothing, no ministry. So what did they do? They said, he's our apostle. He's reaching thousands of people. I'm going to give to him so that he can continue, so he can eat, so he has a roof over his head, so that he can continue, so that he can buy a ticket on a ship, so that he can travel. I'm going to help him. And it's not that I'm giving to the man. I'm giving to the ministry on the man. So Paul says, I, I, I am so thrilled you sent me the money because I know how God's going to bless you, that you're going to have fruit in your account. Now, th- so they were laying up treasure in heaven in their unselfish giving to Paul's ministry. One preacher was heard to say, I read this recently, if you want treasure in heaven, you better give some money to somebody who's going there. Now, I would change that a little bit. If you want, if you want treasure in heaven... Sow some finances into someone, I would say your local church, starting there. Because we're reaching thousands of people every day. You're not giving to Jeff. You're not giving to human beings. You're giving to the ministry God laid on this church. And and fruit goes into your account. 
I mean, why don't I preach this on Sunday? I mean, fruit goes into your account. Did I not just read it right here? It's right here. (sighs) I'll never scam you. I'll never tell you a lie or manipulate you. But I will tell you what I see in God's word. And these Philippians were blessed. Uh, Paul says in verse 18, indeed, I have all in abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, that is the money. And look the way he describes it. It's a sweet-smelling aroma. It's an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So giving from the right heart, the right motive to the right thing is a pleasant fragrance to God. What if every time we gave our tithes and offerings, we imagined God smiling with pleasure with an expression of just having smelled a beautiful fragrance? Because that's what Paul saw. J.B. Phillips, Bible translator, rendered this verse, verse 18, this way. Paul saying, now I have everything I want. In fact, I'm rich, he says in chains. Such generosity is like a lovely fragrance, a sacrifice that pleases the very heart of God. So how can anybody who names the name of Christ not give something to God's work? Not give something to God's work. So Pastor Jeff, I can't give 10%. Well, all right, give 2%. Give three, start somewhere, but give something to God's work. Because I just read to you how God blesses your account. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it. I've sown the seed. Now, next we come to the verse we all know regarding God's provision. This is one of our favorite ones. Verse 19, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. How many of you have ever quoted that and claimed it and thank God for it? Amen? All right. We love to claim that verse. Oh, yeah, my God will supply all my needs. But guess what? Let's keep in mind that this promise is given to the church, the only church that had continuously given to the work of the Lord in the Apostle Paul's life. Now, let me balance this. It's not that God won't help us whether or not we give. He will, and he does. But it does point out that giving to God's work brings a reciprocity from God. It shows that you can't outgive God. And if you give to further his work, he will see to it that you are blessed in return. You can't outgive God. You can't. Now, Paul brings his letter to a close, as was his custom. He sends greetings to the saints. Verse 20 and 21, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Uh Uh-oh, what? Now, verse 22 shows that during his incarceration, he made good use of it because he reached members of Caesar's household with the gospel. And the Caesar whose household he reached happened to be Nero, who was an insane lunatic who was one of the worst emperors Rome ever had. It was Nero who burned Christians at the stake to light up his garden, covered them in pitch, and lit them on fire. That Nero died young and died insane. 
But Paul didn't care. He wasn't afraid of Nero. So he infiltrated Nero's household with the gospel. He said, you put me in these chains, you get me in close proximity to Nero and his household, I'm going to reach it for the gospel. He didn't have a pity party. He didn't play, sit around all day playing a violin. He said, I'm going to blossom where I'm planted. I'm going to reach people no matter where you put me. And I'm going to get into Nero's household. And I'm going to see people come to Christ in his household. Amen. So he reached some of Nero's slaves. He, he reached some of those uh, people who filled all the different various offices connected with his administration. He didn't care how wicked they were. He didn't bewail how wicked they were. He said, I'm just going to reach you. And so Nero, unbeknownst to him, he started being surrounded by people who've been born again because of this guy down there who had appealed to Caesar. And now he's down there winning Caesar's household to Jesus Christ. Wow. I love Paul. You can tell I do love Paul. Um, no greater Christian that has ever lived, in my opinion. And that's not to in any way minimize Peter, James, John. They were all incredible men of God. But this Paul, whoa. You could not keep him down. Amen. Well, we come to the close. The Philippian epistle began with grace in chapter 1, verse 2, and it ends with grace. Here's the last verse. Read it with me. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Jesus has been the theme of the letter and joy the result of knowing him. His name is mentioned more than 40 times, which comes down to about once in every two or three verses. Paul magnified, mentioned Jesus. So I want us to finish by quoting together one of Philippians' most encouraging verses. Can we stand? And I love this one. I love many of them, but I love this one. It's good news for all of us. Chapter 1, verse 6. I want you to quote it out loud with me, can we? Let's read it. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? Amen, amen, amen. Amen.